Yeah. Oh, pee is a whole nother story. Another story. Yes. I've gotten peed on by so many lemurs. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the podcast that is looking forward to schooling you about zoos, the Rasafari Podcast. Now, of course, I'm saying that not because I'm here to school you about zoos, although I guess that is what I do, but uh, because today we are going back to a school that has a zoo. Uh, so I know I've got a lot of new listeners since the whole drumming with elephants thing. Um, for those of you who have not caught up on the back episodes yet, let me tell you about one of the most amazing and magical places in the country. In New York State, there is a high school that has a zoo on grounds. It is the Millbrook School. And it is the Trevor Zoo. And this is an AZA-accredited facility where high school students get to go and be the zookeepers and uh, the curators and do the work. And of course, of course, of course, this is AZA. So they totally have, you know, adult zookeepers and adult staff. And um, the uh, director of the zoo, uh, Dr. Alan Toussaint, is this incredible, incredibly passionate educator and, and zookeeper. And he's just, he's amazing. This place is wonderful. Uh, if you like this episode, if you like what you hear, go back. I've, I've done other episodes from the Trevor Zoo. Um, and honestly, these are all unlike anything else you've heard on the podcast because we're talking about a zoo at a high school. And one of the cool things about the Trevor Zoo is that they don't just let the students do the thing. They they really take good care of them. They have a strong leadership structure. They um they they do a lot of really cool stuff for the students who are super interested in the zoo, which by the way, these students are called zooies, which is adorable because everyone who listens to this podcast is also a zooie and we all know it. Um but like the whole reason this episode is happening is because two of the student curators were taken on a trip to the AZA annual conference in Baltimore earlier this year. And you may remember that I was there as well. And uh, I bumped into my good buddy, Dan Cohen, who does a lot of the PR work and everything for the zoo and who, um, you know, helped me set up the original interviews uh, at the Trevor Zoo. And and is just a just a a great guy. It's fun to have a buddy who's, you know, in the zoo world like Dan. It's really cool. Um, and I bumped into him. I literally just saw him and was like, hey. And um, I was like, I'd love to, you know, come back to the school and, and talk to some students at some point. And he's like, we've got students here. And I'm like, at the conference? And yeah. And so we ended up setting up an interview at the conference. This is so cool. I thought it was just awesome. And um, of course, uh, the the AZA conference is just scheduled, you know, day and night nonstop. So uh, what we decided to do was meet up the final day of the conference before the conference got started. Now, y'all may remember 
I am a professional musician by trade. I do not do mornings. But for this podcast, I'm willing to. So I think we got there around 7 o'clock in the morning, and by the time we all got set up and everything, it was roughly 7.15 when we did this interview, and uh, we all had stuff that we had to be at at 8 o'clock. So I'm going to tell you, this is a, this is a shorter episode. Um, we get in right around a half hour of interview, and then we've got to run off because we had to go to the various presentations that were happening at the conference that day and go learn how to be better zooies, all of us. So uh, it's a short one, but it's really, really cool and a lot of fun. Uh, and before I tell you exactly who we're talking to and everything, I'd like to remind you that the Trevor Zoo currently has a baby red panda, a pandlet, as I like to call them. And um, they're doing a voting contest for the name of that red panda. So you can just uh, go on their website. I'll have it in the show notes and everything. And you can go to their social media and find links. And you can go and you can vote for the name of this baby red panda. Um, I'm recommending that we vote for Jay-Z, uh, which stands for Junior Zhu. So Zhu is the father and, you know, one of the pandas at the zoo, obviously. Um, and just the idea of, of Jay-Z being the name and it coming from that is adorable. I'm a little offended that Ross Safari isn't on the list, but may maybe next year, maybe next year, Dan, we'll, we'll talk. Um, but anyway, yeah, so you can go and do that. And, and I think it's a really great opportunity. It's a pay to vote situation, but all of that money goes to the zoo and their conservation efforts and all the good work. So like, shut up, give them money and, and vote for Jay-Z. And then after you do that, make sure you hit subscribe on uh, the podcast feed that you're currently on so you don't miss any episodes. Make sure that you uh, follow along uh, at Ross Safari on all of the socials except for TikTok, which is at Ross Safari Pod. And uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash Ross For as little as $3 a month, you can become a patron and get bonus audio and all kinds of cool other stuff. So... Without further ado, I'm going to get to the interview here, all right? We are talking to uh, Hannah Kuhn and Anne Majork, who are student curators at the Trevor Zoo, and you're going to get to hear about what brought them to the zoo and what it's like being a high schooler who is not only doing zookeeping duties, but is also a leader amongst their own peers, which is an incredibly cool and honestly, incredibly challenging position to be in. So without further ado, here is my interview with Hannah and Anne from the Trevor Zoo at Millbrook School. And why don't you both tell me who you are and uh, where you, quote, work? All right. Uh, my name is Hannah Kuhn. I'm a student at Millbrook School, a senior uh, at Millbrook School. Um, and if you don't know, Millbrook School, right across the street, is the Trevor Zoo. Um, so the zoo is affiliated with the school. So um, other than being a senior at Millbrook School, I'm also one of our head curators, student curators at the zoo. So that's probably my, my biggest leadership position. Awesome. And you? Hi, my name is Ann Najork. I'm also a senior at Millbrook School affiliated with the Trevor Zoo. And I'm also a head student curator at the Trevor Zoo. And that's also one of my biggest leadership positions. 
Very cool. And um, yeah, so the Trevor Zoo is uh, at a high school. We've talked about this on here before. If you guys haven't caught the episode, make sure you do. It's it's good stuff. Um, and it is the only high school that has a zoo other than the class of students at it um, in the country. And it's, it's really cool. And it's AZA accredited. And uh, I'm really curious for both of you. Um, did the zoo bring you to the school or did the school bring you to the zoo? I would say for the most part, the zoo brought me to the school because I started volunteering. I live locally. I'm not a boarding student at Millbrook. I'm a day student, which means I commute. So, and my mom is also a faculty member there. So I was exposed to the zoo very early. Um, one of my favorite places to visit. And then my mom learned about the volunteer opportunity open to um, ages 13 and up. And so she was able to sneak me in at 12. Uh, very <laughs> grateful for that. That's awesome. Um, so I started volunteering this summer of seventh, after seventh grade or before seventh, one of them. But all I know is that I've been volunteering slash working in some capacity for about six years now. So um, I, was exp- I was in the program, the volunteer program, way before I entered Millbrook. Um, and so I know I wanted to keep in touch with the, with the zoo and keep close. So that was one of a huge factor um, in my decision to apply to Millbrook. Okay, before, before you go on, Anne, I have one question for you, Hannah. So six years yes. working at a zoo already, a third of your life roughly. Yes. And you don't drink coffee. How is that even possible? I am very wary of caffeine because I see how it turns my parents into zombies. Sorry, <laughs> sorry mom and dad. Um, but I get by on non-caffeinated tea. I, the placebo effect, I pretend it's caffeinated <laughs> um, and drink a lot of water. And, you know, sometimes I am a zombie without the coffee. But as long as I am not addicted, I am A-OK. Yes, I'm also not addicted, he says, while sucking down 24 ounces of the beautiful, beautiful black gold. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, man, how did you, what, what's your story here? So I actually have an, a sister who's a year older. So when we got to eighth grade, we were searching around for high schools because we weren't sure if we wanted to go to the classic ones in our town or expand a little further. So we did the good old Google search and found Millbrook on our list. And when for me personally, when I looked at it, because when I'm older, I strive to be a vet. Okay. It was definitely the biggest factor for me having a zoo because I saw literal teenagers being able to get hands-on action where most places they're a little bit more weary of kids handling animals, especially at a zoo in a place with a little bit larger animals. So I thought that was really unique and that's that was the leading factor in why I chose the school. That's so awesome. That's that's very cool. And all right, so student curators, what does that mean? I know it's a leadership position, but explain to my audience how, how you lead. So Millbrook has a, when incoming freshmen come to the school, there's a three community service program that they have to do where it's a rotation of farm, because Millbrook has a small farm on campus, Recycling, we have recycling bins in all our buildings, and then the zoo. Um, And so fall, winter, spring, you're doing one of those three for that trimester. Um, And I missed my zoo session when I was a freshman because I was slated for spring and then COVID hit. Um, But we have about 70 freshmen that come through that program in the zoo. So at any point, 
point in time, we have about 20 to 30 freshman students in the zoo. Um, And that's what curators do is that we make groups out of those freshmen. We lead them. We educate them. um, We uh, shadow our our staff. um, But the zoo, the curators are responsible for being that bridge between the uh, staff at the zoo and the students. Um, So we do a lot of um, education about feeding, diet making, um, cleaning exhibits, um, and just kind of lead them around. Education is the hugest thing that a student curator is expected to do. Um, the groups that we manage are about four students large, usually. Um, and like I, like Anne said, we don't have any large carnivores or larger animals at the zoo. So pretty much we have access to any animal. Um, even protected contact species like our lemurs, we just have to be a little more careful um, and have a little more training uh, on that side about shifting animals and stuff. But we have access to pretty much any animal. So you rotate around the zoo. Um, I think every curator is assigned about three animals throughout yep. the year. And you rotate with those groups throughout the the those three animals. Um, and I've talked for way too long. Um, <laughs> and do you have anything else to add? Um, since it is a smaller zoo, as time goes on, you do learn and get trained on how to do almost every animal because I've been here for four years about, and I've also came in the summer and on breaks to help out. So if, whenever you're interested in the zoo, you are always available to reach out to any staff because we do have a small crew, which makes it more intimate and we're able to really communicate on a deeper level and try to improve programs and it's not too difficult to ask for help or want to implement new enrichment items. So it's very available to anyone. Uh, it just, it, it just, it's so cool to me knowing that y'all are not only learning, but like you said, taking an initiative and like, Oh, Hey, you know, adult staff that does this for a living, let's try this. And they're like, yeah, I'm here for it. That's really cool because I'll, I'll be honest with you. There are zoos that are not with high school students that have that problem where keepers will say, Hey, we should try this. We should do this. And it, doesn't work out. So it's very cool, both that y'all have that, but that you and your teams are willing to take that initiative and do the thing and make it happen for the animals because that's really what it's all about. Yes. yes. What I'm curious about though is so you guys are bosses. I know that's not the term, but you're, you're in charge of your, your, your peers, mm-hmm. high school peers. You yes. might want somebody who you are taking care of to take you to whatever the equivalent of prom is at your school. Like, you know what I mean? Does that ever feel weird? Or especially, um, and with you living there, like, you know, so my day job is I'm a touring musician. Okay? okay. And I'm also the music director of my tour and everything. So I literally just like that. I'm, I'm not only with these people, but then I give them notes. I, I, tell them when something is wrong and then I crawl on a bus with them and we all sleep on it. And it's like, so to me, it feels a little weird as an adult doing that. Does that ever feel weird to y'all as, as you're doing that, having to coach your peers? Um, I would definitely say it's a factor when we are trying to get work done and someone's like, well, I don't really want to do this because there is factor of scooping poop and physical manual labor when you're doing zoo activities. So you I have to walk the line of strict, but also trying to make it fun and creative for those kids who aren't as skilled or imaginative and see the value in working with animals. So if you walk across the street, it's like 
a minute walk at most to get to the zoo from most places on campus. So there is that divide, almost like a line, because you walk across the street and then the zoo's over there. Because most of my leadership happens across the street, I'm able to separate it nice. more. Nice. Good. Yeah. That's really smart. It, yeah. Actually, I will tell you that not only in leadership but in life, the ability to draw strong boundaries like that is wildly important. And the fact that you are doing that, you know, kind of intuitively right now is really awesome. I would say um, where Anne is good cop, I like playing bad cop more often. <laughs> I usually level my Hannah glare at them. <laughs> I'm kidding. I just saw it, y'all. It's a little scary. <laughs> I'm kidding, mostly. Um, a lot of our curators are selected by staff, and we also um, get a little bit of a say in those decisions and and training. So, our curators are are very respectful um, and engaged and want to learn. Um, if they have any questions, they jump out of their seat to ask us um, in the kitchen or when in exhibits. Um, and like Anne said, there's that divide, even though they are so closely related, there's that divide between when you're in classes in the school and in the zoo. In the zoo, your peer curators recognize that you have more knowledge than them and that you are their senior. Um, and so they're not hesitant to reach out and ask questions because Anne and I are, are – Nice, for the most part. Yes. Um, <laughs> I would agree with that. And once you get back onto campus, you go to lunch with them. It's everything is normal again. They're, they're, they're your friends. They're your peers. You go to classes with them. Um, so like Ann said, that there is this equality when you're at the school. But then when you get to the zoo, they recognize that you've been there for far longer than they have in most cases. Um, and that you're someone to go to if they ever have questions, if they need help. Um, if they need advice, we're here for them. It's a similar dynamic in the dorms, too. Like, outside of the dorm, everyone, like, will play together on the quad or, like, the grassy area and have a good time, play games. And in the dorms, we have dorm leaders, so they're kind of like RAs in college that will help you, especially because they're upperclassmen, especially for the freshman girls or boys that come in. They're able to get that leadership, and then they know, like, this is my senior because sometimes they get privileges and they do extra roles in the community. So it's just a balance between the community and social type part. That's awesome. It is my opinion that that will set y'all up for success in life far more than any of the algebra that you learn. I mean, education is wildly important. Don't get me wrong, yes. <laughs> but that kind of thing, if I could, if I could tell you how many leaders I've seen fail at much bigger things in adult lives when it really, you know, maybe matters more than school as you've moved on from that a little bit right. because they don't have those abilities. Like hearing you guys say that is really inspirational to me because I am wildly focused on leadership. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about it on the podcast and everything that y'all are talking about is exactly what you need to be a successful leader. So Thank that's you. really yes. cool. Yeah. Especially having a good glare. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. It yeah. is important. Hannah has it more down than I do. <laughs> I need to. Yeah. My curators are a little scared of me, but I think that's healthy. Fear is good. Yeah. I, I'm kidding, I think, again. <laughs> awesome. So um, I, I have been to the zoo a couple of times, and it is lovely. And um, I'm, I'm curious what, like, what for each of you is your favorite animal to work with and why? And go deep here. Tell me, like, species, name, okay. you know, all that stuff. So for me, it definitely depends on the day and my mood because I work with different 
animals each day. And sometimes one animal will just be very energetic or not wanting to listen. And then you're just very frustrated after a long time because we have time constraints, definitely with having to get to classes. Then other days it'll be very easy. It'll be like, oh yeah, I'll come with you. And like, especially if you can shift them out. So I would say my top two, I really love the red pandas because we had a senior red panda. He passed away last year. Right, right. And he was very interactive, like, because he was in a holding area because of his age. So he didn't fall off perchings or anything like that. Um, You're able to, like, unlock the doors. He would crawl out sometimes and just get moving, very interactive, always have a smile on his face. And just, like, connections and almost the experience that you have with that animal really made that big for me. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, red pandas are the best. Yeah. I mean, scientifically proven. <laughs> you have but... one on your laptop, so you get <laughs> oh, it. I'm, I'm obsessed. They are my favorite animal by a lot. I was going to yell at you guys if somebody didn't mention red pandas, so good job. <laughs> yes. And we just had a cub this year. Yes. So oh, we're I know. Super excited oh, I know. Him. Yes. For him, actually. It's a boy. Yeah, I know. It's so exciting. And you actually got to do the birth announcement for that, right? Yes. Yes. I did. So I watched. First Thank of all, you. really nice job. Really nice job. Dan was Thank like, you. you need to check this out. So I did. And, um, Was that like a special moment for you or was that just like another like, yeah, this is just like part of what we do? It was definitely for me just because. Because it was a special moment for me. So, (laughs) like I mentioned in the announcement, she had two cubs last year, but one was stillborn and then one just didn't survive. So we definitely had our challenges, even though red pandas are notoriously really bad first time moms. Mm -hmm. They're like 13% survival rate. So. We had to go back to the drawing board and see what would happen there and bedding her rear the cub because hand rearing them doesn't really work just because of their sheer size and almost lack of ability to live, being blind, deaf, and a whole other list of things. So it was a really big deal that she was doing a fantastic job and that the cub continues to grow and we're super excited. I can't wait in the fall and winter is their season where they'll be out running oh, yeah. around. I also can't wait. I'll be back up. I, I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't wait. Betsy uh, was at Central Park before coming to y'all. Yeah. So I, I've known Betsy. I spent a lot of time in New York. I've known Betsy for years. Nice. And um, we, we kind of wondered because she was on a breeding wreck at Central Park and mm-hmm. nothing came of it. And then she goes off to happy little Millbrook and suddenly it starts to work out. But like you said, real high mortality rate and that's Definitely. totally fine and you know i mean it, it sucks and, and scientists are working on it it is what it is but now there it is there is the cub there he is yes. and uh yeah i'm just it's i can't imagine uh you know i just can't imagine being in high school and getting to announce the birth of a red panda like that's just that's just awesome yeah it's very magical it's surreal almost because in 50 years we don't know if these animals are still going to be here and especially red pandas so mm. that was a big one redpandanetwork.org and you can help them be there folks don't forget but yeah so hannah tell me tell me things um if you asked me this question a year ago i would have definitely been stuttering and listing at least 15 animals and <laughs> yes. saying i don't know they're all my children i can't name them <laughs> i don't know but um i've been so there's a class at Millbrook for, for seniors called the ISR, the Independent Science Research mm-hmm. class. Um, and I wanted to do a study with our Jeffries marmosets um, because Monica McDonald at the Reproduction Management Center is doing a study with, and our marmosets are included. Um, she's looking at 
um, progesterone and um, the difference in progesterone levels in dominant females and subordinate females. And I thought that was really cool. So I'm doing something a little bit different. I'm looking at both um, corticosterone and going to do hormonal assays in like a lab setting, very technical. And then I also, for two hours a day, sit outside of their exhibits and use Zoom Monitor to track their behavior um, and see what they're doing. And that's really fun. And I thought they were a little creepy before I started this. (laughs) They got like bright orange eyes and they're like flying stinky squirrels. Um, But cute. But they're so cute. And what I've learned doing this is that they're, they're have such bold personalities. Um, And I'm really interested in looking at hierarchy. Um, That's kind of what my, my study is looking at. Um, Corticosterone like is, the dominant female more stressed? Is the subordinate female more stressed? Um, and so I've really been paying attention to those social interactions. And it's it's very interesting to see how in our family of five, we have a family of five marmoset and a family of three. Um, in our family of five, Melody, which is the dominant female, um, you have to be very careful when you're going in and, and trying to get the different um, glittery grapes to them. I say glittery, non-toxic glitter. Um, edible because you have to tell whose poop is who when you're collecting it. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So um, we have three different types of glitter. We have red, blue, green, and they got to go to the right individual. So when you're going in there, you have to be careful. You got to watch Melody, who is our dominant female and will steal from other females, (laughs) and Peanut Butter, who is our obese, um, (laughs) uh, who is the son of Melody and is obese and rude. Um, I love him though. Um, So you have to kind of like give them their stuff first and then behind their back kind of like find everyone else in the exhibit and give them their glitter. You got to like be very aware of what's going on. Um, So that's really fun um, to see that kind of play out, that hierarchy. So I got to say because of the study and I've literally been in their exhibit for months now. I probably smell like a marmoset. I think I am one at this point. You do. You do. I noticed as soon as you got here. Yeah. That's all right. I think it's a compliment. Oh, no. (laughs) No, no. Oh, don't tell me that. Um, I got to say that definitively now, they're my favorite. Okay. Very cool. So who is the study with? So the study is my part. So I got inspiration from Monica's study, but my study is on my own. Okay. because the class is like, you do a low stakes, it's not exactly graduate level research, but it's like a level below and it's still intense. Um, you do this on your own. You have outside sources that you reach out to. For me, for example, that would be Monica. Uh, but there's a teacher who guides you um, through this process. And then at the end, you got to write a look at this formal research paper and present on it. Um, so I'm the only one conducting this study, but I am getting assistance from the zoo staff, um, and, and Monica's advice. So that's really helpful. And, and where exactly is Monica from again, though? You had, you'd mentioned the facility, but. She right. is at the St. Louis Zoo. Right. There you go. Okay. You, you forgot to say that part of it. Okay. And I gotcha. wanted to point that out because you're, you know, again, just to, just to try to sell my audience on how amazing this experience is and how mm-hmm. unique Trevor Zoo is. You know, not only is it an AZA accredited zoo at a high school, not only are y'all doing the work of keepers at a high school, but it's taken seriously in this community. We're recording this at the AZA conference. Y'all are here for the first time. So am I. 
probably having your minds blown. So am I. For but, sure. Yeah, and we're, yeah. We're, we're interacting with people, you know, the, the, of these other zoos. You're working with the St. Louis Zoo. This isn't an isolated environment. Y'all are part of SSPs. Y'all are part of, you know, research and working together and sharing information. And, and that's not just you. I know that this has happened with other, um, what are they called, ISPs? The, the ISRs, RSPs? ISRs. ISRs. I knew it was something like that. <laughs> Letters are hard. But, um, you know, I know that that has also been used in other research in the past, other students' work and stuff. And right. I just think that's astonishing. Yes. It's really cool. We're lucky to have our science center really active in the zoo because mm-hmm. our director, Alan Toussaint? Toussignon. 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 Something okay. like French. that. Yes. yes. Um, Alan's awesome. We just call him Dr. T. T. He's awesome. Um, He's been on the pod. We love him. Yeah. I ran up to him yesterday and he was so thrown for a second. He was like, but, oh, oh, you're here. Oh. (laughs) He goes, I'm getting information overload at this place. I was like, me too. (laughs) So are we. We're going nuts. Oh, yeah. But he teaches a class called Animal Behavior, which I'm going to be taking second semester this coming year. I'm also going to take ISR, which Hannah is. She's way ahead of the curve. I'm still trying to. Pick what I want to do. Okay. You can, if you have an idea, like we said, you run with it and they'll support you as long as it's safe for the animals, of course. But I'm excited to take animal behavior because we'll get to learn more about the animals. It's just an additional fast asset of having the zoo there to actually go learn instead of textbooks flipping through images and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, it's night and day difference. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Um, are you guys going to eight o'clock sessions? Do we need to wrap this up? Um, I think we're going to try to hit them. Yes. Okay. Cool, cool. I believe so. All right. Then, uh, real quick, uh, I know we have to go because we have to go learn about cool zooey things. Yes. But um, before we do that, we have a tradition on this podcast. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're going to laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Ron Silfari Poop Story. Do, do you guys have poop stories? Poop story. For me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a good amount. Such yes. condescension. All Tons. right. Yeah. Um, I often, this is not the story, but this is a little anecdote. So I, from the zoo, walk up to my mom's office to go home so we can drive home. And I walk in and she sniffs and she's like, what happened to you today? And I'm like, you don't want to know. Um, I actually use this, story so i'm writing my college essay drafts right now oh i don't uh, terrible oh yeah. but um oh i do i really do yes yeah also how old do you think i am that you think i wouldn't remember that time my goodness well, i don't know you never know <laughs> we're all we're all throwing shade here so <laughs> one of my drafts is centered on this story so i was in the black and white lemur exhibit they were shifted out they're a protected contact species um and they have a net i'm a short person i'm yes. five two um, and they have a nest box that's above my head and I can't see the top of it. And, but I could catch a glimpse of something running down the side. Now like, that's poop. Um, so I reach up with like a scraping tool and I guess I flicked my wrist a little too hard cause I was holding dustpan and the scraper and I was trying to do like a slow and steady motion. So it would glop onto the dustpan. I flung poop all <laughs> over the front of my shirt. And the worst part, on my radio. Oh, no. So for the next half an hour, I was digging poop out from the crevices of my radio um, and, like, trying not to let anyone see. I got the radio (laughs) clean. My shirt, unfortunately, 
um, because I didn't bring a change that day. Always bring a change. Always. That's what I've learned. Um, Is I had a poop-stained shirt for the rest of the day, but at least the radio is okay, and that's all that matters. Right. And, I mean, let's be honest. Lemur poop is gross. So gross. So gross. Yes. Yeah. Especially the black and white lemurs. It's like soupy, gloppy mess. It's awful. Yeah, it's very very liquidy. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. So how about for you? Um, my main problem I feel like is with birds because we do have most of our birds are rehab or couldn't be released. So not necessarily for me, but for friends. I know one other curator last year had been pooped on by an owl just right in the middle of community service, had to go to class in like five minutes. Just <laughs> that's a problem we have. Yeah. Just the poop goes down. And then my other friend, we have wild birds also that just do their own thing. My friend, Q service, right on the head. She's also a curator and just had to clean yeah. it out, freaked out. And then I've like rubbed up like my coat or clothing has gotten poop, but I've been very vigilant because I'm a taller person. I'm five seven. <laughs> I have I could see above my head a little bit more in these spaces. But it's definitely a factor whenever you're in a space that try not to get poop peed, projectile whatever you never oh, know I, yeah oh yeah. pee is a whole nother Pee's story, story. Yes. <laughs> i've gotten peed on by so many lemurs a turtle turtles the turtles, turtles are notorious for this you so we have so they go away for the night and yes. they're separate spaces and then but you take them out in the morning put them in like this little pen um and it's got green grass sunlight good for them but I took one out of the crate one day. I think it was one of our Russian tortoises. Yes. And I was talking to a visitor and I was holding it above my leg. And then in my, it was like my leg got really warm all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. And I looked down and this tortoise, this small tortoise is peeing on me. An exponential amount of pee. Yes. I don't know how it fits all down my leg. At the night of the zoo activity we did for our students, we went around at like 8, 9 o'clock and they got to walk through the zoo. I was holding a turtle then all of a sudden it just spews everywhere. And I'm like, I'm in front of my peers. Come on, stop yeah. being on me. <laughs> then Sally the chinchilla is also notorious for projectile Sally, peeing at you. Sally the chinchilla will projectile pee on you if you try to weigh her, weigh her. which is once every week. Right, right, um, so right. you have to hold her away. You've got to hold her butt away from you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amazing. Awesome. Thank you both so much for doing this. This has been a blast. Yes, Thank really you for having been. us. All right, so there you have it, folks. Uh, another fun little uh, journey into the world of zoos. Um, I'm really grateful to uh, Anne and Hannah and Dan and just the whole team at the Trevor Zoo. Um, what an amazingly cool place, and what a what a supportive group of people. Uh, not just for their students, but frankly for the podcast. Uh, I'm I'm wildly thankful that I, I discovered this place and that I've gotten to have them on here multiple times and share them with you. And you can be darn sure that as soon as the opportunity presents, I'm going to go up and uh, try and get a good look at Junior Zhu or, you know, whatever they name him. Because again, contest, you can go and help them name their baby red panda Junior Zhu. Remember, that's what we're going for. Okay, cool. So uh, anyway, I'd like to take a moment to thank my Red Panda-level patron, Laura Shank, and also all of my patrons, you rock. And um, hey, all y'all, just thanks for being here. I, I love being able to share cool people and cool animals and, and cool stories with y'all. It, it means a lot to me. It really does. 
yeah, so that's it for this week. And uh, I'll be back with the Zoo News actually later this week. So I shouldn't have said that's it for this week, but I was trying to sound like a cool broadcaster guy. Busted. Oh, well. Anyway, remember, friends, the word credits backwards is Steiderk. The Ross Safari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Ross Safari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Ross Safari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.